Psalm 95, in relationship to the church here, helps us understand why we're here this morning, to worship God. We are here to worship and bow our hearts and minds before the creator of the world, the one who saves us while we were yet sinners. We didn't have anything to offer him, but in his grace and mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to provide a way of salvation for all those who have placed their faith in their son. That's why we're here today, to worship and to bow down before him. Part of our worship is fellowship, and many of us have had fellowship for, for a while this morning through Sunday school, and, and we, uh, part of our worship is prayer, and we had prayer this morning, we've had prayer already here this morning. Part of our worship is singing His praises, and the most important part of our worship is humbling our hearts and minds before God's Word. That's part of worship. It is my prayer that our time in God's wood would change each of our hearts and minds this morning. I don't want us to walk out of here the same people we were when we walked in. And the only way to have that kind of change is to let God's word walk in, work in our heart. And we're going to be looking at God's word this morning as far as how it's supposed to apply to our lives. And so before we begin, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so very much for your grace and your mercy. I Father, it's a privilege to look at your word. It's a privilege to be in this family, this local church. It's a privilege to have the binding of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand your word, to apply it to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. The mantra of our culture is pretty much this. Everyone has the right to do what is right. What it, is right in their own eyes. That's pretty much our culture. If you think it, if you feel it, if you think it's true, go for it. And nobody can tell you you're wrong. It's the same mantra that Israel lived by when the book of Judges was written. And we see it twice in the book of Judges. We see uh, Judges 17.6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And what's it say? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Not very many chapters later in chapter 21. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And what's it say? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We are in that same place. We're in that same place. But we are finding out in our series in James that true belief in Christ, Jesus, always leads to certain types of behavior that are quite different than the behavior of the world around us. Listen to this. We need to grasp a hold of this. Christ followers do what is right in God's eyes, not what is right in their own eyes. God's people do what's right in God's eyes, not what is right in their own eyes. This is why the book of James is so practical for us. It helps us see that true faith in Christ leads Christ followers to behave in very distinct ways within the culture that God has placed them in. Very distinct ways, not that we choose, not that we think, but very distinct ways that God says, this is how my people act. This is how my people respond to the world around them. We've already seen, as we've been in the book of James for a while, that the author of James is the brother of Jesus Christ. He is the pastor of the Jerusalem church, a pastor who is separated from many in his congregation because intense persecution caused them to flee. They are poor and many of them are destitute. 
They are spread across the region with real no pastoral care and leadership. They are living in pagan cultures which James knows are going to tempt them to compromise, to behave more and more like their pagan neighbors. James knows that they are saved. He was their pastor. And that he understands that the most important thing he can do for them now is to instruct them in how to behave in a pagan culture when he's not there to have pastoral oversight. He goes, I need to write this out so that you know. And this letter that James writes to his dispersed flock is so very practical to help us, to lead us and guide us almost or over 2,000 years later. We also live in a pagan culture, as many in his flock did. And we have to understand something. I'm not overstating that. We live in a pagan culture. Bottom line. Don't think it's moving in that direction. We're there. We also need to know how we are to behave in a pagan culture, don't we? Because we live in one. And the issues James deals with becomes a mirror for all Christ followers, a mirror that we can look into to test the genuineness of our salvation. And so how does James's letter help us test the genuineness of our salvation? The behavior described in James's letter is behavior that all those who are truly saved will find themselves growing in. Every person who is saved by faith in Christ Jesus, they will find themselves they will find themselves growing in the same behaviors. It's not like, well, he's got this part and she's got that part and you know that person over there. We are all at different levels, but we will be all growing in the same way. We all will be growing in our ability to count it all joy when faced with various trials. We will all be growing in our ability to come to God asking for wisdom without doubting. We will all be growing in our ability to take responsibility for the temptations that enter our lives that we choose to do instead of blaming God or somebody else. We're all going to grow in those things because those things are all behaviors that all Christ followers are going to grow in if you truly are saved. There can be no real assurance of salvation if our behavior is not becoming more and more like the book of James. There is no real assurance of salvation if our behavior is not growing and becoming more and more like what James is writing about. So James sums up the first part of his letter in chapter 1, verse 18. You can turn to James chapter 1. Uh, it'll be on page 1,289, I think, of the Pew Bible. That's the red Bible in front of you. I would really highly recommend that you Use that Bible. If you don't have one, take it with you. Highlight in it. If you have your own Bible, please mark out. Look at how James is put together as we are going through it. And so as I said, James sums up the first part of his letter in verse 18. He says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. How is it possible to behave like God is laying out in James? We see that it was God that brought us forth, or as the NIV says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. How many of you ever chose to be born? How many of you chose the parents that you were born to? You had no say. This idea here is the same way. We didn't choose to be what? 
birthed spiritually. We had nothing to do with it. It says that He, God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be kind of first fruits of all He created. God gave new life, a new spiritual birth, through the gospel message found in His what? What do we see there? By the truth of His word. The new birth is what makes it possible for all true believers to mature in their ability to behave as James is writing. Which, by the way, means that we as Christ followers are becoming more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. If anyone who claims to have been given a new spiritual birth, who claims to have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, if they look at the mirror of their spiritual lives and finds that they are not becoming more Christ-like, there again is no assurance of salvation. We, we need to understand that James is, is setting up a mirror here for us. He is making us look at our spiritual lives in a mirror. He is making us look and say, does your behavior match how Christ's followers to be behaving? And so this brings us to our passage this morning. So please stand with me. We're going to read James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You may be seated. James here is beginning a new section with these verses. But as always, he attaches this new section to the previous section. In verse 18, he wrote of the new birth that happens through the word of truth. So if you want to see the connection between this section and the previous section, you need to circle the word, word. Because that's what's going to tie what we covered, the summation of what James had finished in the previous section, to the section we are going to go into. The word of truth was the gospel message that James had taught and that his flock had believed unto their salvation. We see Peter giving us insight into this in his letter that he wrote later than James. And we see this in 1 Peter 1.25. It says, but the word of the Lord... Okay, there's the idea of word in, in Peter, remains forever. And this word is the good news. That's where we get the idea that the word that James is writing about is the good news, is the gospel. However, back then, they only had oral tradition. And that's why as we read, he's talking about hearing the word. Well, that's how they received the word. But us today, however, the word of truth has been more fully revealed and compiled within the Bible within which God has placed everything we need to know about how to behave in our culture. Every life situation that you and I encounter, we find out how to respond to it in God's Word. And we see that in 2 Timothy. It says, all Scripture, that's all of the Bible, is breathed out by God, comes from God, and profitable. So how much of this is profitable? All of it. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, which Justice spoke about last week. 
It's the Word of God where we find out how to behave so that we're equipped to live in this pagan culture. So we see that James connects our passage this morning with verse 18, that idea of the Word of God, the Word, the Gospel, in verse 18, in verse 21. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the what? The implanted Word which is able to save your souls. So we understand that as he has gone through here and he's closed out the section in verse 18, he connects verse 18 in the previous section with the word word, with the idea of God's word. And that's what we're going to look at for the rest of the morning. So what is the context of our passage this morning? Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of you here have heard this verse quoted? How many of you have used this verse? How many of you use this verse out of context? Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Is that wise counsel? Absolutely. But here, James is not applying it in the general sense. Because we understand that he is talking about the Word of God in verse 18, and he's going to finish this section in verse 21 with the Word of God, what is the context that he is setting this in? Be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear, and he's referring to what? The Word of God, not it in general. This context is restricted by James to the Word of God and how we are to relate to the Word of God. It's not appropriate for us to use it out of context when James locks the context in. However, we need to understand that the general context that we often use this passage with is taught multiple times in the book of Proverbs. So we can be wise and we can state this and apply it to our lives in a general sense, but not from the book of James, but from the book of what? Proverbs, and I want to show you a couple, and there's many of them. Proverbs 10, 19, we're going to see similar teaching here. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lip is prudent. Is that similar teaching? And is that in a general sense, as a proverb? Absolutely. We don't need James to speak this. We also see in Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, if he's not slow Okay, or quick to listen, if he answers before he listens, it is folly and shame. Similar teaching? Absolutely. And then also in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Similar teaching in Proverbs, similar teaching in Ecclesiastes. We don't need to take James in the general sense. We need to make sure that when we speak of James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, we need to make sure, what? That we keep it within the context that James does. With this in mind, let's take a close look at verses 19 through 21, and I really like how Alistair Begg sums all of this up. Spiritual growth 
is directly related to the proper reception of the seed of God's Word into the soul of the believer. Do you believe that? Spiritual growth is directly related to the proper reception of the seed of God's Word into the soul of the believer. So think about that. Can you grow spiritually without the Word of God? Absolutely not. You can't. The only way that we can grow to learn how to behave in the way that James is teaching us to behave is to be where? Constantly. Right here. There's no other way to grow spiritually unless you are constantly in God's Word. And before we can really understand what Alistair Begg is saying, we need to reflect for a few minutes on the relationship between Christ followers and God's Word. Just as a general sense, we need to examine the relationship between Christ followers and God's Word. The Bible makes it very clear. God's people have a deep, continually growing desire for God's Word. God's people have a deep, continually growing desire for God's Word. The Bible shows this over and over and over. In the Old Testament, we find when God's people, Israel, had a sincere desire for God's Word through the prophets, what happened to the nation? Did they prosper? Very much. However, when they did not care about God's Word through the, through the prophets, did they prosper? Absolutely not. When they had leaders that desired God's word, they prospered greatly. Listen to how the value of God's word that the psalmist uh, brings to our minds. The law of the Lord is perfect. That's the word of God. The word of God of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is, endure, uh, is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they? What is more to be desired than gold? God's Word. Look in the mirror on that, by the way. Do you desire really God's Word above everything material thing you owned? Do you desire God's Word above your family? above your grandkids, above your children, above your job? Do you desire God's Word more than anything that you materially possess on this earth? More to be desired are they than gold, even much gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warmed, and in keeping them there is great reward. Psalmist again writes, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your what? Commandments. I have stored up your word. Where? In my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. What is the relationship in the Old Testament between God's people and his word? They value it more than anything that is on this planet. And when they actually lived that out, 
Israel prospered. And when they didn't live it out, God disciplined them. That's the relationship between God's people and His Word in the Old Testament. And these two passages are just two of many that speak to the same thing in the Psalms and in, throughout all of the Old Testament. We also find the same idea, the same attitude in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's people did not have the help of the Holy Spirit living within them to, lo- to build that relationship of love for the Word. They didn't have that. They had prophets and priests to help them grow in that, leaders to help them grow in that. But that changed when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again because now each of us have the ability to grow in our love like that because who do we have indwelling within us? The Holy Spirit of God. Do we have a leg up on anybody else in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what is this relationship? How does the New Testament display this relationship? 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants, long for this pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. There isn't anything in this world that will deter a healthy baby from desiring a mother's milk. Have you ever tried to just make them wait for a while? Does it make any difference if they're in a restaurant? In the store? Does it make any difference if you're asleep at 2 o'clock in the morning? When they desire the pure milk of their mother, what do they do? Whatever it takes to get it, and it's usually screaming at the top of their lungs. True? That's how we are to love God's Word. Like a baby longs for its mother's milk, a Christ follower will grow in their desire for this pure spiritual milk. And it says there, the pure spiritual milk. What is that? We find the answer in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you should be more mature than you are, is what he's saying. You need someone to teach you. Again, the basic principles of the oracles are what? What word could you put there? The word of God, okay? You need what? Milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. What is the pure spiritual milk that we find James talking about? The word of God. The word of God. Throughout the Bible, we see God's people desire God's word. That is the relationship that all Christ followers have with God's word. Our desire for God's word is one of the most reliable evidences of genuine salvation in our lives. Our hunger for God's Word, our growing hunger for God's Word, our maturing desire for God's Word is one of the genuine evidences of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. This truth is a major test when we look in the mirror of our spiritual lives. It's a look in the mirror that we must all periodically take. Sin does get in the way of this desire for God's Word, and it can stunt our spiritual growth, but there will always still be a growing desire over a length of time. You cannot be saved and not have a desire for God's Word growing in your heart. Can't have it. Sin may get in the way. Distractions in life might get in the way. But if you're not growing over a long period of time, more and more and more for your 
for, to be in God's Word, to be feeding on God's Word like a baby feeds on its mother's milk, then you need to ask why. So let me ask you this. When you look in the mirror, what do you see about your spiritual life and your desire for God's Word? Just be honest. What do you honestly see? But over the last year, over the last two years, over the last four years, has your desire for God's Word really been growing? Has it? If you looked in the mirror this morning and are disappointed in what you see, James is going to help us figure out how to prepare our hearts to receive God's Word. And the more our hearts are fertile soil for that planted seed of God's Word, the more you will grow in your desire. So we're going to take a look at how do we develop this desire? Do we have the Holy Spirit? Yes, but there are some things that we can do that we find in James here that can help us make our hearts more fertile to the reception of God's Word. So how do we prepare our hearts to receive God's Word? Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I want you to notice here that James has a significantly large pastoral heart right here. He says here, my beloved brothers. Remember where he's at? He's in Jerusalem. Remember remember where his flock is spread throughout the region? He's not coming to them in some academic, intellectual way. There is doctrine here, but he's saying, my beloved brothers, my beloved sisters. I want you to understand this. He is coming to them with a pastoral heart. James clearly has a deep, compassionate concern for them here. And like every wise pastor, he is not simply trying to convince his flock's minds that he is right. He is trying to reach their hearts. His affection for them is equally as strong as his obligation to them to teach them his word. The first step we see in preparing our hearts to receive God Uh, God's word is to ask the question, am I quick to hear? Am I quick to hear? Quick to hear what? God's word, because we understand that, that God's word is the context of all of this passage. We've already gone over that. James is teaching that those who are eager for God's word will receive God's word into their hearts more readily. If you are eager to be in God's word, your heart has a more fertile ground for the implantation of that word into your heart. The issue isn't how many times I attend a service because the doors are open at church. The issue is, do you, do I have hearts that are genuinely, eagerly hungry for God's word? Do we sincerely desire the word of God like a newborn baby desires its mother built? Are we truly hungry for God's Word when we have the opportunity to be be fed by God's Word? You know, when we really desire something, do we not usually, and when it comes to eating and being hungry, do we not usually eat it? How many of you are really, really good and you never fail to eat something that you probably shouldn't eat? We all struggle with that in our culture, right? If there's some M&M sitting in in a bowl over here, I cannot walk by the bowl. I have to stay away from it because if I do, my hand just automatically goes out and just does this, even though I don't want it to. And then you touch them and you can't put them back in the bowl, right? And you would be wasteful if you threw them away. So what do you do? You eat them. You eat them. 
So it's not how many times this idea of being hungry for God's word is not measured by how many times we go to church or how many times we don't go to church. Because how many times we show up at church, how many times we show up at Bible studies, how many times we show up on Wednesday night is directly related to how hungry are we for God's word. If we're hungry for God's word, where will we be? We will be where it's preached. We will be where it's taught. We will be where it's studied. Because we want God's word. We are hungry for God's word. And we will arrange our lives. We will arrange our schedules. We will do whatever it takes to make sure that we don't miss an opportunity to feed on God's word. Period. That's the behavior of a true Christ follower. We will make sure that we discipline ourselves to get up in the morning and read through God's Word. We will seek. We will search because we are hungry for God's Word and we will take every opportunity we can to be in God's Word under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. If we have the choice to feed on God's Word through music, we will choose to listen to the music that will feed us and not listen to the music that will put the world's teaching into our hearts. If we have a choice to feed on God's Word by listening to a sermon while driving, we will choose to listen to that sermon rather than a talk show that doesn't feed as much of anything. If we have a choice to feed on God's Word at church through preaching and teaching, we will be there not because we have to, because we want to listen and feed on God's Word, not because it's what I need to do, because that's what Christians do is go to church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night. I want to be there because I want to feed on God's Word. Those who are quick to hear will not let life get in the way of their feeding on God's Word. Now, nobody can live that perfectly. Are there certain times when we just absolutely, God puts in our life a trial or a situation where we cannot make it? Yes. But on a day in, week out, year uh, in, year out, we plan, we strive, we block out that we will not miss an opportunity to feed on God's Word. We have two companies that are very well known for this, major international corporations that are known for this, and both of them originated in the United States. What are those two companies? Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. They will not allow their business to interfere with anybody getting fed on God's Word because they close every Sunday, period. And have they taken a lot of heat for that? Yes. Have people told them that you're going to lose millions and millions and millions of dollars? Yes. But have they been blessed by God? Absolutely. Because they said, we will not, as a corporation, get in the way of anybody feeding on God's Word on Sunday morning, period. No matter what the culture says. No matter what the business model is like. That's at a corporate level. How about us at an individual level? Do we block our lives out like that? Do we say, this time is where we feed. And we will not miss it unless God intervenes in some odd way. We will be here. It doesn't make any difference if we're tired. It doesn't make any difference if we had a rough day. It doesn't make any difference if we feel overwhelmed. We want to be where? 
under the preaching and teaching of God's Word feeding on it. Those who are quick to hear will find a way to read and study at home because they're hungry. Those who are quick to hear will find a way to be at a home Bible study because they are hungry. Those who are quick to hear will find a way to be involved in Sunday school because they are hungry, not because it's the thing to do, because I'm a Christian. If you or I do not find ourselves growing in our hunger for God's Word, we must look in the mirror because if we don't have a hunger for God's Word, we need to at least be honest with ourselves and ask why. Especially in light of James because this is part of who we are. This is part of who I am. So the second step in preparing our hearts, the first one uh, step in preparing our hearts to receive the Word of God is to be quick to hear, be hungry for the Word, be eager for the Word. The second step in preparing our hearts to receive God's Word is what? Look at verse 19 again. Let every person be quick to hear and what? Slow to speak. Everybody who is fairly old, that's where I'm going to leave it, knows that you cannot listen carefully while you're talking. True? You cannot listen carefully while you're talking or even while you are thinking about what you're getting ready to say. So many times we go into a conversation and we're listening to them and we're highlighting how we're going to respond to them in our minds. We may not utter a word yet, but are we really listening to them at that point in time or are we just getting ready, our our rebuttal ready? The primary idea here is that when the appropriate time to speak does come, What is said should be carefully thought out. We need to listen. We need to be quick to listen to God's Word before we ever speak and make comment on God's Word. When we speak for the Lord, we should be so very concerned about what we say, not only because it is true what is being spoken, but because it is God's Word. And because we know that when we speak God's Word, when we open our mouths to make comments about God's Word in a Christian life, we are either edifying or somebody or we're tearing them down i didn't understand this when i was younger i I like theology and most of you know that and i like to discuss theology but a lot of times what especially when i was younger man i'd come to a meeting to a lunch loaded for bear because i knew what we were talking about i knew where they stood because i had kind of pumped them before right what are we going to talk about and I go back and I get out all the books and, I, and I'm coming in loaded for bear. Was I really interested in listening to what they were going to say? Or was I interested in winning the debate? You know where I was. I wanted to win. I wanted to show them that I knew God's word, that I was right. Now that doesn't mean that we don't make, take firm stances. It doesn't mean that we are going to change our mind. But we need to stop. We need to listen and then after we listen we need to be slow to speak we need to consider what we're saying ask if it's edifying ask if it's accurate with god's word we need to be patient and careful when we have opportunity to preach and teach or explain god's word and i'm going to tell you something i read a quote from john MacArthur this week now how many of you here are familiar with john MacArthur? He's been in preaching for over 50 years. And John MacArthur said, 
I really don't enjoy preaching. And he was asked why. He said, because I know that when I get up in front of everybody, I'm speaking for God. Yes, I do like preaching, but I'm also at the same time understanding the importance of what I am getting ready to say. Is he cautious? Is he slow to speak? Being slow to speak includes also the idea of being careful not to be thinking about one's own thoughts and ideas while somebody else is trying to express God's thoughts and ideas. We cannot really hear God's word when our minds are already on our thoughts. We need to keep silent on the inside as well as on the outside. And we need to be slow to speak. Those who are slow to speak will find it easier to receive God's word deep into their hearts. The third step in preparing our hearts to receive God's word is to ask, am I slow to anger? Am I slow to anger? Look at verses 19, the last part of 19. Slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all uh, filthiness and rampant wickedness. The anger that he is talking about here is that slow burning anger that smolders in the hearts that often others don't even know is there. That's the anger. It's that slow burning anger. James knows his flock well, doesn't he? He's reflecting on what they've been going through. Are they going through a whole lot of difficulties right now? Have they been run out of their homes? Have they left possessions behind? Are they separated from family and from friends and from their church? Are they in places where they don't, aren't familiar? Yes. And those situations could have easily caused them to harbor a slow-burning anger deep within their hearts. This is not fair. Why would God allow this in my life? Why would God take away my church? Why would God take away my family? Why would God move me hundreds of miles away into a place that I have no idea how to live? And they may have, and, and James is saying, hey, you need to check on the inside. You may not be blowing up about this. But is there a deep-seated smoldering that this just isn't right? This type of anger always interferes with our ability to receive God's Word deep into our hearts. It's so easy to let this anger gain a foothold in our lives. We look around the world and we see the wicked prospering and the innocent being abused. Does that make you angry? We see evil abound in every area of our world, and we burn about the injustice of it all on the inside. It's just not right. When you see all of that, is there this slow-burning anger that this is just not fair in your life, in, in life? That's on a global scale, but how about us personally? Life seems hard. Life seems hard. And I have this low burning anger in my, it's just too hard, it's not right. Why do I have to go through this? We see loved ones move away. Medical issues never seem to let up. Bills pile up. A fellow church member lashes out. A church leader doesn't visit, visit the aged in the way that he or she should. The family relationships are not where they should be, and the anger burns. It's just settled in and makes, makes us negative and critical and hopeless. And it interferes with our being able to receive God's Word deep into our heart because God's Word is not going to go through anger first. 
Do we have that deep-seated anger that just smolders in our hearts because life isn't the way it should be. Life isn't the way that I want it to be. And then we go to God's Word and we think God's Word should just uh, enlighten our lives. But the problem with that is we have sinful anger within our hearts. And it isn't going to go away until we take care of it. We'll look at that here in just a minute. We see also in this, this portion of the passage, this type of anger never leads to the righteousness of God that God requires His people. This is not a righteous anger. This is an anger that looks at life situation and trials and temptations and comes to the conclusion that what is happening is just wrong. And that is the context of this. Remember, he's talking about trials and temptations. And he's warning his flock. You cannot, there is no possible way for you to grow spiritually through God's Word if you have a low burning anger deep within your heart. Maybe you've been through a relationship, a divorce. It could have been years ago. And there's a low, deep anger way down inside that says, this shouldn't have happened. They weren't right. They shouldn't have done that to me. And then we wonder why God's word just doesn't appeal to us. How about you looking in the mirror? Do you have a low anger because life didn't work out the way you thought it would? Because somebody whether in the church or outside of the church, treated you in some way that it shouldn't have. You know when this often happens? It happens to families often. The only reason why I know that is because it happened to Kathy and I, especially when we had kids. Everybody gets up, it's a Sunday morning, and the morning starts going downhill as soon as you say good morning. Right? The pancakes burn. The kids are upset. I don't want to wear that this morning. It's not what I want. And so everybody's kind of cranky. They get in the car. The slow burn has started. And they're driving to the car, uh, to the church. And the husband says, you know, and whatever he says, you know, and the wife says, really? Fine. That's the way you think. The slow burn continues. Right? Right? And they come up the front steps of the church. And they cannot let anybody know that there's a slow burn. They can't let anybody know that something's going on in the household. And they meet the greeter at the door and he goes, good morning, how's your day? It's wonderful, we're in God's house. And then you wonder why the sermon doesn't mean much of anything because what's in your heart? The slow burn. The slow burn. And James says, this is not how we grow in the Word. This is not how we become fertile soil for the Word. We are slow to anger. We are slow to anger. So, to help you become fertile in receiving God's Word, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The question is, we know we're supposed to be that way. We know that these things are part of who we are and our lives as Christ followers. How do we specifically get there? And he gives us one good point here. We purify our lives. 
we purify our lives. Because take a look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Sin in our lives will keep us from desiring God's word. Sin in our lives will hinder our ability to speak appropriately about God and His work in our lives. Sin in our lives will cause us to be angry because life isn't going the way it's supposed to be. And, God, and, and James says here, and he reminds his people, understand something. If you have sin in your life, if you are not walking where you should be morally, understand. He says, therefore, he goes, if you want all these things, to get that, therefore, be pure in your lives. James' point, get rid of all the moral filth in your life so you can receive God's word better by being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James's point, get rid of all the moral filth in your life so you can receive God's word better in your life by being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Paul uses the same idea repeatedly throughout his letters. We're not going to look at it. We're not going to go to Paul right now, but he does say this. He says, therefore, put away. Paul says what? Put off. Put off all these things. It's like changing clothes. Put it off. Who's supposed to do the putting off? We are. It's in our laps. God says, I've given you my word. I've given you the help of the Holy Spirit. As you get to know my word and you understand that I'm not supposed to be like this. I'm not supposed to have this moral filth in my life. And he says, then you put it off. You put it off. He says, lay it aside. Everything from your old life, Paul says, that would interfere with your new birth, your new life. And so often, we allow this moral filth, this moral wickedness into our lives. And it hinders everything that he's already talked about. And we wonder why we're not growing in God's Word. We're wondering why we really don't mind if we miss the service or if if we're not hungry for God's Word. The idea of filthiness here that James is using refers to any sort of moral defilement or impurity. And it's really, really amazing how sometimes when we don't see it in the English, but the, the term that he uses for filthiness is closely related to the term used for earwax. And what does earwax do if it builds up in your ear too much? It hinders your hearing. And he says, get rid of anything in your life that is going to hinder your spiritual growth because it hinders your ability to receive the Word of God. He goes, get rid of it. Get rid of it. This is so appropriate in James' context. Moral filthiness is a serious barrier to our clearly hearing and comprehending the Word of God. We will not be able to be quick hearers and We will not be slow to speak, and we will not be able to fight against that slow-burning anger if we cannot hear God's Word because of the filthiness in our lives. Man, this is hard here, folks, because we have gotten so used to compromise. I'm a Christian, and I know that's not right, and it's okay. Anything we choose to allow to enter our minds, what we listen to as far as music, 
what we watch on t- online or TV, what we read, what pictures we look at. If any of this brings filthiness into our lives, it needs to be removed because it's going to block our ability to hear God's Word. How many of you, looking in the mirror, allowed filthiness into your life this week? A picture, a song, something on Facebook. And it's so insidious. A lot of times, I mean, you turn the TV on and it's a show, and, and Kathy and I have done this, and we become much more sensitive to this. All right, we watch a show, and the first season is really, really cool, and it's pretty, you know, it would be what we would call legitimately family-friendly. Then by the time you get to the third or fourth season, all of a sudden something changes. The, the, the language changes. Cultural ideologies start shifting in. And because we want to keep on with the storyline, because it's got us hooked, then we go, it's okay, I can ignore it. The problem with that, if you can ignore it, that means the Holy Spirit is not convicting you of it. If anything in our lives brings filthiness into our lives, it should be removed. And this will be a constant fight. But if we love God's Word, we will be diligent to get rid of all the moral filthiness in our lives so that we will grow in our desire even more for God's Word. The idea that he uses here in, in, in wickedness, it refers to moral evil and corruption in general. It's similar to uh, filthiness, but this is especially in the regards to the intent of our hearts. It pertains to sin that is deliberate and determined. Do you realize that if you know that there's something filthy on a show, that you watch it anyway, that you just made a deliberate choice to allow it into your life and your mind? You made a deliberate choice to expose yourself something that Jesus Christ would never want to expose himself to. This wickedness may reside in the heart for a long time before being expressed outwardly. It may, in fact, never be expressed outwardly. It therefore includes all the hidden sins that each of us know we have in our hearts, all the evil wickedness we do that makes us make choices. And uh, I mean, if we steal from the office or fudge a little bit on the tax, our taxes or whatever, I mean, how many areas could this affect in our lives that we make conscious choices of? Moral filthiness and wickedness must be removed from your life as soon as it is found or realized. Only a righteous life, a pure heart, will help one grow in their ability to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So let's sum it all up. Let's look at the big picture right now. Let's, let's sum it up. We see that James is a wonderful pastor here. He knows his flock is experiencing great trials, and they're going to be tempted to blame it on God or blame it on somebody else. James knows they will need God's wisdom to know how to respond to those trials. So he talked about trials so far. He's talked about uh, asking for wisdom. We're going all the way through what we've looked at now here in James. And he knows that the only place to find wisdom is by having God's Word rooted deeply within them. He wants them to be humble and have hearts ready to receive God's Word because their hearts are pure and ready to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He goes, you're not going to handle the trials that I've talked about. You're not going to handle the temptations I've talked about until you are solid in God's Word, until you have a growing desire for God's Word in your life, until you are hungry for God's Word. You will not handle trials right. You will not handle temptations right. And that's 
James's point to the folks he loves so much, and he's looking at them and says, you are in a really dire situation, and the only way out of it is to develop desire for God's Word by getting rid of the filthiness in your life, getting rid of the wickedness in your life, arranging your life, becoming more and more hungry for the Word of God. So let me ask you this. We're going to look in the mirror one last time tonight, or this morning, excuse me. What is your relationship to God's Word right now? Just, just be honest. You don't have to tell anybody else. And as soon as I asked that question, most everybody here knew the answer. What is your relationship to God's Word? Do you desire it? Do you greatly or growing in your desire for it? Do you take great care in the planning of your life so that you are in God's Word, under the preaching and teaching of God's Word, and with people who talk about God's Word? Do you set out and being in God's Word takes priority over everything else in your schedule, and you block time out, and you say, every week this is where I will be unless God really does something to change it. And that means that you will be, want to be in a Bible study. That means you will want to be around people who speak God's Word. That means that you will want to be here every time the church door opens, not because it's the Christian thing to do, because you want to be fed God's Word. Or do you let life's distraction pull you away from being in God's Word? And you and I must realize that Satan and his demons work very hard to build into your life a thousand reasons why you don't have time to be in God's Word or why you're too tired to be under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. He is going to put a thousand distractions in your life. It could be time, it could be work, it could be medical, it could be whatever the case may be. He's going to put a thousand distractions in your life because he doesn't want you being under, his, under God's Word. And the truth of the matter is, A lot of the times we make Satan's goal too easy because we are the ones that are being distracted by sin and the things of this world because we enjoy them and we make the choices. We live lives that mimic the world's priorities, wants, and desires. And Satan doesn't even have to bother with us because this is what we like to do. This is who we are. So what do you really see when you look in the mirror and ask this question? Does my life honestly show God's Word is of utmost importance to me? Does my life honestly show God's Word is of utmost importance to me? Does my heart and life show I hunger to be under the preaching and teaching of God's Word? Does how I use my discretionary time show that God's Word is valuable to me? We're looking in the mirror that we will all struggle with this, but we need to fight the fight. We need to make sure we block out that time and we genuinely work at studying and wanting and desiring God's Word. Because if we're not, if that has no appeal to us, and we can go days and weeks and not really even mind that we've missed a, a time to be under the preaching and teaching or miss Bible study or miss this, uh, and, uh, miss home personal study. If we can do that on a regular basis, then we have to look in the mirror and ask, why don't I have the desire when James says, this is a desire for every Christ follower? And we can't get around it. The passage is so very clear. 
So bow your heads for just a minute, please. As you reflect on what we've been taught by James, reflect on some of the questions that have been raised this morning. Reflect. And honestly, just ask yourself, what is my relationship with God's Word? What is it, honestly? If you say, I'm doing well, not perfect, but I can see growth, I can see uh, movement, then praise God right now that He is growing you in His Word and that He is helping you get rid of filthiness and wickedness in your life so that you can become quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Praise God for that. If you see any growth in your life and your desire for God's Word, just praise God. If you say, I really don't see myself growing in that desire. I can go for days and not really have a desire for God's Word. Then let me ask you to consider the question, why? Because we know, without a doubt now, that true followers of Christ are going to grow in their desire for God's Word. You need to say, Lord God, there's too many things in my life that are keeping me from loving your word. There's too many little areas of filthiness and wickedness that just keep me from growing in my hunger for your word. Lord God, there's a a sense of of anger that's deep-seated and just a slow burn that's keeping me from hungering your word. Oh, Lord God, I'm sorry. If you see yourself in that, God is willing to forgive you right here and right now. And He'll walk alongside of you. We will walk alongside of you and we will help you grow in your hunger for God's Word. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you for the pointedness of James's words this morning. Oh, Father, it's so hard sometimes to look in the mirror especially when it comes to our spiritual lives, because it reflects back, truthfully, who we really are. Lord God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would convict us about the hunger that we have for your word. Father, if there's somebody here who this morning is saying, man, I really am not sure of my salvation. I'm not sure that I'm even saved. I have no sense of desire for God's Word at all, I pray, Lord God, that you would prick their hearts, have them come and speak to me, sit down with me, and let's talk about your Son, Lord God, and how He can change their lives and begin a growing desire for your Word in their lives. Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.